Good morning, everyone. Oh, we're excited. This is good. This is great. Well, you can have a seat. Um, we have, it's countdown, ladies. Ladies in the house, are we excited? Yeah. We have five more days. Is it five more days? I was trying to do the math. It is. It's Friday night. It's five days, right? Five days until women's retreat. If you're in this space and you haven't yet registered, good news, you can do that today. Um, we have got 120 odd, odd women that have registered for over the weekend and it's just going to be an awesome opportunity where if you're new here or you've been here for a little while and you still haven't met amazing friends like Beth Smythe, this is a great weekend to come because what happens over weekends like this, we pursue God, we see him move in our lives like never before, but what happens on a weekend like that that doesn't necessarily happen on a Sunday is that connections are formed, that we have an afternoon of nails and all sorts of fun things. Men are excited, right? In very contrast to the men, um, <laughs> where we just hang out and drink coffee and have fun and be able to connect with one another. So I'd encourage you, if you're fairly new in this space and it's a scary thing to sign up, do it. Um, you'll meet lots of friends and come out of that weekend enriched by all the friends around the place. That's good. We feeling good? So we're opening up our series this morning um, with Daniel, and Daniel's series is going to go for five weeks. We're going to have a preacher in the morning and a different preacher in the evening. What's our new service time? Yeah, you're a smart bunch. You're a smart bunch. And today we have Pastor John Ovos coming, and we've got all his favorite foods afterwards, hamburgers and hot dogs for free for anyone that shows up. So you'll get fed spiritually and fed with your body physically. So that is good. So that's going to be great. Looking forward to this afternoon. And 4 p.m. is a regular change for us all. So if you come at 5, that would be sad. Well, you can come for dinner. It's nice. It's nice. But this morning, as we do open up the book of Daniel, we see that set right after Babylon's first attack on Jerusalem, that they have come, they have plundered the city, they have plundered the temple, and they've taken the Israelites into exile. And we see over here that among them were four friends, four men from the royal family of David, Daniel and his three friends that would be well known by probably their Babylonian name, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. I'll try, I always got to say Abednego Bank. It's terrible. I'll probably say that a lot throughout this day. I'm sorry about that. But you know what I'm saying. That's the reference, cross-reference over there for Michelle. But it becomes clear here that over this time, Jerusalem has three stages where they, um, where they have fallen. And this is the stage one here in Daniel where it's accounted for. Stage two and stage three, that is, um, there's in history and it's not accounted for in Daniel. But we see here from the outset that throughout the book of Daniel, that we see that the sovereignty of God, that in this book we see the word, um, what they use for the Lord is Adonai, the exalted one, that despite that he has um, put the Israelites into the hand of the enemy, that he is to be trusted and that he is in control, that he is a sovereign God and he is the God to be exalted. And we see that through the book of Daniel and through Daniel's life, that this sovereignty of the Lord, Adonai, that no matter what culture shifts, no matter what changes they have in circumstance, that they stand firm and steadfast in the knowledge of the Lord and Saviour throughout this book. So we're going to look in verse 1, chapter 1, verse 1. 
It should be up on the screens for us. Look at that. They do a great job up the back there. Thanks, Dave. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. The king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand and qualified to serve in the king's palace. We have a few men like that in our place. Pastor Riley and Ryan, they're around. I reckon they'd be chosen if they were in there for this time. They're not here. I thought they were. They both ran. They knew I was preaching. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years and after that they were to enter the king's service. Among these were some from Judah, Daniel, Hanani, Mishael and Azariah. When we, we see here that Daniel and his friends have been chosen and trained up to enter into the king's service, being placed into a different culture. And over here, I've, I've titled this, When Culture Shifts. Because culture, it has always shifted and it inevitably will always shift. That culture is forever changing. Of recently, we've had a good culture shift where we no more have shopping bags. I've been caught out 10 times in the shopping centres where I've gone, I'm like, oh, the shopping bags, and um, had to buy more eco-friendly ones and um, done my bit for the environment. Um, but there is a good culture shift, but then there's also culture shifts where we go into places that are very contrast and very different to what we experience, what we believe and hold on to in our faith. And there are these extremes where we are placed in positions like Daniel and his friends who have been taken out and into exile, into these Babylonian ways of life that are so different to what they are used to. I remember going from year seven to year eight and that being quite the culture shift. In year seven, I was like the school captain and um, in, in for yellow faction. And what I was able, what we were able to do in year seven, now you're the oldest in the school, everything's going great, you're having fun. All the little kids, when you have all the sports activities, you ask them to drag out all the mats and set it all up and pack it all down and all these fun things you get to do when you're in, the, in year seven. And then it's time to transition to year eight, into high school where everyone's older than you, bigger than you. It seems like New York City with the amount of people in that school. I was transitioning across to Lockridge High School. At the time, they were on the news for one, late, one girl stabbing another girl um, with scissors. So that's the school I'm going into. Um, that's right, Charlie. My parents sent me there, would you believe it? Um, and there was a culture shift. You know, the sports activities and the things I did at lunchtime and loved wasn't as cool to do this now in high school when you're in this school of older people, people that are, you know, saying things differently, acting differently, swearing, all these sorts of things, smoking, all these sorts of gear. Sport isn't quite as cool anymore. And so through that culture shift, there's a finding out, well, who am I? Who am I in this space? 
and it may have been the teenage hormones or it could have just been me trying to adjust but you get a little sassy and a little bit cheeky and your teacher sends you in the quadrangle to start typing because you've been messing up in class and all these sorts of stuff but who am I in that situation and as I look back there was, do you know what I was thinking to myself? I'm like, why didn't I just start the sports program at lunchtime? That could have been cool. But no, I let it go because it wasn't the thing to do. That wasn't the culture of the school to do at the time. Over here we see that Daniel and his friends experience this culture shift. And we, we learn from them when culture shifts, when we are placed in a new setting, when we experience things we never thought possible, we can learn to engage our culture without compromising our faith. We can learn to engage our culture without compromising our faith. What we see here is Daniel is in that, in that new, new environment, new culture, new ways of living, and yet he stands firm to God, the exalted one, who is so strong in his own life that actually the culture around him isn't going to bother him because he knows who he is in God. And that's something that we can learn today, that for many of us, like in biblical times back then, it can be the case for our own lives, that we come in on a Sunday, and this is an awesome experience, we gather with other believers, like-minded, loving God, worshipping his name, lifting up his name in this place, and then we go oh, into a culture that could be very different. What we learn here from Daniel is, whilst the culture was different, he was very respectful of their culture. He wasn't in their face, this is how it should be, la, la, la. But he was respectful of what, what they would believed and yet stayed true to who he was. He stayed true to who he was. He didn't just go with the flow, but he just, he remained with who he was. From the day that Daniel arrived in Babylon, he stood strong in that faith. And to put into context, context, that we see here that he was trained for three years in the way of the Babylonians. Three years. And yet he remained true to who he was. And you think about that, being trained in the ways that they, they believe things, do things, um, go about ways. Three years of that intense training and yet stand still in who he believed he was. And the other thing we see here that as this culture shifted for him, we see in the scripture that God allowed this to happen. God put them in the enemy's hands. And sometimes, like if that was me and I'm like, oh, well, God, you allowed this to happen to me. I am in this zone. You have placed me here, so I'll just do what they're doing. You've put me here anyhow. But no, he remained true. He remained with the absolute resolve that Adonai, the exalted one, is with him. And he knew what was true within his heart to remain faithful to that, to remain um, in that position and remain faithful to that walk. And for many of us here today, there may be seasons where we feel that God has placed us in, in situations where we don't understand it, where we don't understand what God is doing in and through this season. And we've been put into this space where it seems so contrastly different to what we actually believe in. That we can take hold and take heart that God in us, that as we remain true to who we are, that the culture can shift around us, but we don't need to shift with it. 
that we can remain and don't compromise our faith as a result of that. That we can stand firm on what we believe. A shifting culture won't determine the decisions we make if the one thing that's in our heart remains true and firm is the exalted one in our life. In verse 7, it says, The chief official gave the new names to Daniel the name Belshazzar, to Hanani Shadrach, to Mishael Meshach, and to Azariah Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now God had caused the official to show favour on and sympathy to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I am afraid of my lord the king who has assigned you food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hanani, Mishael and Azariah, Please test your servant for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Has anyone fasted, done the Daniel fast? Yeah? And um, whenever I I feel like I choose to fast, um, things, all food, smells and things get heightened. And where you're normally not hungry at 10 o'clock, now you're starving. But this guy, he is there. He's like, give me vegetables, give me water. I don't want that royal food. That royal food is going to be amazing, I can imagine, but I don't want that. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. Daniel's friends over here, as we see their names, and maybe like, your, like me and yourself, may refer to their names more so if they're Babylonian names. Is that right? Would we more know them as, um, what's his name? Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. Did I say that wrong? Yeah. Um, that, that's where we're well known. I, I would say that's probably how I most know them, by those names. But really, their names over here, and I'll share with you the difference from what their original names were to what their masters then in captivity is a, a part of their culture that as they came across, they were renamed. And I will share the difference from what their original name were to now what it means. Hanani, meaning Yahweh, has been gracious is then being given this name Shadrach, which means I am fearful of God. This shift from gracious, loving God to God to be feared. It goes from focus on God to focus on self. And then Mishael, meaning who can compare to my God, no one, to Meshach, I am despised and humiliated. Again, focused on God to focus on self. From confidence to cowardness is what this means. And then Azariah means Yahweh has helped to Abednego, the servant of Nebo, which means son of God to slave of man. And you see here these labels and these names that are given to them, which is so contrast to what their original name was. The Hebrews' captives' new names destroyed the true nature of God that has been represented by their names and reorientated their identities around these new names. When I think of those names, we think about, for us even here in this space today, 
And whilst our original names and we've all been given names at birth, that through the seasons of life and through um, the ways of this world, that sometimes people start renaming us. That we get labels on us saying, you're not good enough. You're not worthy. You don't belong here. That you're, you're not good. That all these sorts of things that can sometimes stick on us. And sometimes, you know what, it's so much easier to believe those things than to believe that the, the God of this universe loves you, cares for you, knows you by name. And even in this space today, I wonder that even as we're speaking, and we want to pray through this, that, you know, our identity will get challenged. Our identity will get challenged. Where the thing, people of this world, well-meaning people even, may say just the smallest thing and it sticks. Just that smallest thing and it's like, oh, I don't feel worthy. I don't feel good enough. I don't belong in this space which casts shadows over actually who we are, which hold us back from actually our true identity in Christ Jesus. And our identity can be challenged in that space to feel less than what we actually are. And sometimes, often, it's not even what people say about us. It can be actually all in our mindset, where we actually are our worst enemy, where we say things like, oh, I wrecked that, oh, I said the wrong thing, oh, I messed up here, or whatever. And we start believing that, because it's so much easier to believe that than to say that you are a child, you are a son and daughter of the Most High God, and He loves you, and you're perfect, and you're whole, and He is for you. It's so much easier sometimes to hear the lie of the enemy. And over here, we see that these name change from who they were to who then they're renamed doesn't make a difference to who they actually are. Because whilst man can change their name, they know who they are in their sovereign Lord. They know who they belong to and they know who they are in Christ Jesus. That there is no label that's going to stick to them. And for us today, if you're in this space and you're like, you know what, I can identify with some labels on me. I can identify with things where, you know what, I'm not feeling great. I'm not in a great space. don't feel like I belong here. I don't feel like I'm worthy. There's all sorts of things that have been creeping on me and they're all a little bit sticky and they're sticking to me. That today, we're going to um, take a moment to pray after the service. Um, we'll see how we go for time, maybe through that next song. Um, but we'd love to pray because there is freedom in the name of Jesus. There is freedom from every name that may try to stick to you. Because as we know who we are in the Lord Jesus, none of those things can stick and hold us back. Our identity will get challenged because the enemy doesn't want us to go forward. He loves it that we remain and believe it. But there is plans and purposes for us that far exceed anything we could hope or imagine. Far exceed it. Scripture tells us, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. That you are who God says you are. We sung and declared that song earlier and we'll sing it again after this message. And we're going to declare that truth. A couple of weeks ago, I was standing up the back. We were doing a baptism and I was just standing up the back. And I wasn't having a great day. And to be honest, there were some names that I was believing over my life. 
I remember standing out the back and just declaring those words of, I am who God says I am. And you feel the power of the Lord Jesus Christ when he comes and he says, give it to me. You don't need to hold it anymore. That is not for you to hold. Because I believe that we have a plan and a purpose far greater than what we think in this place. When culture shifts, we need to know who we are. Because culture is always going to shift, is always going to change. And as we remain knowing who we are in Christ Jesus, it holds us firm. In verse 15, at the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better, nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. Yum. (laughs) To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them in, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them and he found none equal to Daniel, Hanani, Mishael and Azariah. As they entered the king's service, in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters of the whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. I love that. Ten times better. Can you turn around and tell someone? Ten times better. Daniel over here said, test me for 10 days. Give me just vegetables and water and see how I go. See how I go. And we see here that he comes out 10 times better. That we see that God has worked through that space and we see him 10 times better. That this morning that, you know, we are all facing tests of all different kinds at all different stages of life. Has anyone else had a test or is it just me in this place? Yeah, 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 Dawny. We all get tested, whether it's small, whether it's a big test, whatever it may be. That God puts us through these, um, these things where we are tested. And on the other side, we see that our faith is strengthened as a result of it. Our faith is strengthened as we come and walk through the other side of these testings. I'm not sure if I can identify always 10 times better, but we believe that. We believe that it could possibly be 10 times better. That as we are tested and as we stay strong and firm, as culture shifts, as identity is challenged, as tests come, we remain firm on the sovereignty of the Lord, the exalted one. In the hardest of seasons, it's hard to sometimes say, you are the exalted one. But he is, and he stands faithful throughout every season of our life. I know that through the testings of times gone by, and it's good when you can look back at different testings, that what we do identify and see through those times is that God is faithful, God is able, God empowers, God equips, God causes us to walk through these spaces where we thought we could never manage it, but he does because he is a faithful God. He does because he is sovereign. He does because he's exalted in our lives that we are able to walk strong and firm through every test that comes our way. God will always use the tests in our lives to make our faith stronger and reveal his glory to those around us. 
that he reveals himself. It's sometimes not even about us, but around us. People are seeing. People are watching. You're going through that and you're acting like that? What? That God uses it in all sorts of ways to reveal his glory. No matter the challenge, no matter the circumstances, no matter the situation, that we remain steadfast in him. Daniel asked here to be tested for 10 days. And throughout the Bible and the scripture, we see that these number 10 represents the testing of faithfulness. We see that in Exodus, obeying the Ten Commandments. In Malachi, giving the tenth to the Lord. In Acts, praying for ten days in the upper room. In Revelation, enduring ten days of persecution. They were tested for ten days and yet they came out ten times better. They passed the test with flying colours. The king found them incomparable and asked them to join the inner circle. Being tested for those 10 days resulted in a situation being 10 times better. As we are open to grow, be serious about our faith, ask God for more in our lives, guess what comes? (laughs) Testing. Testing comes as we open our lives to God because what he wants to do is strengthen our faith. What he wants to do is allow that process to happen in our lives. At the beginning of the year, part of a journey group, Chris Bailey, Dawn Turner's here, um, and a few others. And at the start of the year, we said we're going to um, work together, and we did this um, work through the Bible app, Version app, and it's called One Word. There's a book as well for that. And what this One Word does, it brings clarity to our year. That um, you pray, you go through a series of questions, you ask, you sit before God. And you come up with, what is that one word for my life for the year? And each of us done that, we're able to share with one another. But it brings focus and clarity to our year as well. I got a real fun one. Um, Mine was refine. Um, So refine is never a fun word. (laughs) I started off the year, I'm like, yeah, this is great. But what that has done six months in is it has allowed that clarity and that focus that throughout these six months, there's been moment after moment where God has placed his finger on things. And it's time to let it go, Michelle. It's time to change that. It's time to, you know, give this up to me, whatever it may be. And it's been test after test where I've seen um, God move in that space. And so now sometimes, sometimes, not always, when a test comes, I'm like, okay, bring it on, bring it on. Because I know something good is going to come out of it. When we are feeling depleted, weak and wanting to give up, that most often there's something on the other side of that. I've seen that through my life and I've even been chatting with other people throughout this week. And it's ti- those times are somewhat exciting because we see God is doing something through that. We see God is moving through that. And in the Bible, we see that as the refiner's fire, and we see that in, as a blacksmith uses to improve the quality of their work, they heat that metal up and they skim off the impurities to make that metal stronger and better use for the purpose that it's made for. For our lives that, you know, we go through these testing seasons and they're not fun. No one loves a test, whether you're in school, college or whatever. No one loves a test. 
but it's opportunity to, for God to use us, opportunity for God to speak to us, opportunity for us to strengthen our faith through what he has. And I'd love to invite the band up. And this morning you may be sort of feeling that, you know what, I have got labels on me. I've been holding on to these things that someone told me 20 years ago or that I've told myself. And I'd love to pray. And maybe we, what is that time? Yes, we got time. Well, maybe we've got time that uh, we'll sing that song, I Am Who You Say I Am. And um, we're going to open up the front here. We've got our prayer teams here. That maybe there's something you would like prayer for. You may be in that season where culture has changed and you're in a situation that seems so difficult or maybe so contrast to what you believe. And you just need prayer for someone to stand alongside you and pray into that space. Or there may be labels and you may be feeling like, you know what, I'm just feeling like giving up. I've had enough. God says, I have more for you. I have more for you. That label won't stick. That label won't hold. And we would love to pray for you over that. Or maybe you are in that testing season and you just need someone to come and walk alongside and pray for strength and endurance and encourage you that we would love to pray for you. So why don't you stand and as the band play, we're going to declare that song. I am who you say I am, God. I am who you say I am. If you want prayer, just come out the front.